Greetings to each of you in Jesus' name. What a beautiful Lord's Day we have to be gathered together this morning. I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter again to continue our study there. We are ready for chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. This is the passage that Brother John Slayball's Fall Bible Conference came from back in October, so I trust that I won't be too redundant. There's still a lot to learn from these verses apart from what was shared then. I thought about going back and listening to his messages, and I thought that might be dangerous. It uh, might kind of make me either scared to preach on it for fear that I'm going to just be saying the same things or else make me feel like I'm uh, leaning on what he said. So if, if I repeat some of the things he said, that's, uh, it wasn't designed that way. I'd like to read these verses at this time, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 25. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as servants of God. Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it, when you be buffeted for your faults, that you shall take it patiently? But if, but if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, but whose stripes ye are healed. Ye were healed, for ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. And I'm just impressed that as I read over these verses once again, how much is there and how I feel like I'm going to be scratching the surface to cover these this morning. So in these verses, we have the, the main theme of these verses is admonitions of how we relate to earthly authorities that we find ourselves under. Specifically here he speaks to our relationship with government authorities and the relation of servants to their masters. Now, we're told different places in the scripture that we're to be submissive to the authorities that are over us. This isn't the only place. And we're to be submissive to more authorities than just 
our masters as 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 an employee or our government government authorities that we find over us and i just thought as a to help us to understand that god desires submission from his people that i would just read a couple of others hebrews 13:17 obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves for they watch for your souls as they that must give it account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. So God there is telling us that we are responsible to those that are over us within the church. Ephesians 6, 1, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. It's not talking about submitting, but obedience, same, same idea. And if in Colossians 3.20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. And I want you to think about that, well-pleasing unto the Lord, because that theme is in these verses from, from 1 Peter as well. Keep that in your mind as we look at this. So, I believe that God desires for his people, and it's what, as I see as a theme of, of this passage, that God desires for his people a, a submissive nature to the authorities that are over us. <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about authority. The dictionary definition of authority, that, or the sense of authority that we're using, the way we're using it this morning, is a power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. Now, think about that. It's a power to influence or command thought, opinion, or behavior. So authority is the power to uh, influence or command what you think, what your opinion is, or your behavior, what you do. Another part of that definition, persons in command, specifically government. And think about it, the government really tells us a good bit about what we're to do, what we're somewhat, how we're to think. Uh, you know, that's, that's what authority is about. It's, it's about giving direction. We also need to recognize where authority comes from. Where, what gives authority? Why do people have authority? To the non-believer, to the person that doesn't have a grasp of God and, and how he works. I believe that authority, uh, it, that those people would say that authority comes from the person or the people who are the strongest or who are the most cunning, the most influential. Think about it in our political setting and in our society. And the person who is best able to convince the majority of people that they have the best interest of people in mind is the person that gets elected. So the person that's the most influential and cunning is the person that gains authority. In some other settings in the world, the person that has authority is the person that has the biggest guns. 
In other words, it's sheer brute force and strength. But is that really how people gain authority? I want to look at a number of verses from the scripture that tell us where authority comes from. And I invite you to turn with me to these if you'd like. First one is in Psalm 75. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. For in the hand of the Lord, excuse me, I started at verse 7, verse, verse 6. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south. But God is the judge. He putteth down one and setteth up another. Speaking of, of God being in control of who is in charge, who's in authority. Daniel chapter 2. Daniel 2 verses 19 through 21. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel. This was when Nebuchadnezzar had the dream and said, tell me what the dream was. Then this is breaking in uh, after Daniel had entreated the Lord. He says, then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the Lord of heaven. Daniel answered and said, blessed be the name of God forever and ever. For wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and knowledge to them that know understanding. So Daniel saying that God sets up one king and pulls another down. Jeremiah. Chapter 27. <clears throat> Jeremiah 27, starting at verse 5. I have made the earth and the man and the beast that are upon the ground by my power, by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and have given it unto whom it seemed meet unto me. And now have, have I given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant. And the beasts of the field have I given all, him also to serve him. And all nations shall, shall serve him and his son and his son's son until the very time his land came, of his land come. And then, all, and then many nations and great kings shall serve themselves of him. And it shall come to pass that the nation and kingdoms which shall not serve the same Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon and that will not put their neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, that nation will I punish, saith the Lord, with the sword and with the famine and with the pestilence, until I was consumed them by his hand. So this is a, a message directly from the Lord through Jeremiah. And he's saying that 
I'm giving these lands into Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, for a set time. But what was interesting was the last verse we read there, verse 8. He says that it's going to come to pass, and the nations that refuse to submit to King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to punish. So God was, God was bringing Nebuchadnezzar in to punish his people who had turned away. And he was saying that if, if, if you don't submit to the yoke of the, king of, of the king of Babylon, you are going to suffer consequences for it. God expected them to submit to the power of that heathen king because he was setting up that king. A couple in the New Testament. Romans 13. <clears throat> this is very familiar. Romans 13, 1. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are, are ordained of God. And then flip back to Acts chapter 17. This is a verse that I'd read over many times, and a couple of years ago I heard somebody comment on it, and it it shed a new light that I had not, had not seen before. But Acts 17, verse 26. This is Paul speaking, to, speaking there on, on, on Mars Hill to the Greeks. He's, he's telling them about God. And he says, And hath made, this is speaking of God, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth. And hath, hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitations. Now I'm going to read that now from the New International Version. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the, set, the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. You ever wonder why you're living in the Shenandoah Valley and going to Bethany Mennonite Church? Paul says that God has determined the, set, the time set for each of us in the bounds of our habitation. And I brought that one up because it's not necessarily speaking about authority, but it's speaking about God's sovereignty. And it's not only speaking about God's sovereignty in who is an authority, but it's speaking about why I find myself under the authorities that I find myself under today. God has put me here out of his choice. <clears throat> so these passages make it clear that God, behind the scenes, is orchestrating who is in authority, where, and who is under that authority. And I believe that we as finite human beings have a hard time grasping 
all of that, that God's in control and that he sets up or allows to be set up these, these different people. And we struggle to understand because we see how that many earthly authorities in our time as well as in history past have, have not ruled according to godly principles. There's been many, many wicked and ungodly men who have been in control of the things of the earth. And we struggle. How does God set up these people when they're so ungodly? <clears throat> There's been much injustice and much bloodshed because of the corrupt, unjust, ungodly earthly rulers. But yet we have to understand that God says in his word that they are given their place of authority by him. And we need to remember that God is dealing with a fallen world. The entire world has been corrupted by the effects of sin. And so God's perfect will is never going to be accomplished through secular government. We need to remember uh, that unredeemed mankind is never going to bring about God's perfect will. And I believe that to understand how God orchestrates all this, or maybe not to understand it, because I'm not sure we'll ever fully understand it, but to accept it. We need to have a, a firm grasp in our minds of the two-kingdom concept, that there's a kingdom of this world and there's a kingdom of God, which is the church. And it's through the church that God is implementing his will for people. It's not through secular government. And so as we look at, at, at these authorities in the world today and in past history and struggle to understand, remember that that is not part of God's perfect will for mankind. It's part of his will because he desires for authority on the earth to provide structure for society. But it's within the church that God's perfect will can work. Much of what happens in the political realm in the world falls far outside of his perfect will. Yet he set up authority on earth for the good of mankind. And unfortunately, it's often abused and misused. But that doesn't detract from the fact that those in authority have their place and their power from God himself. And as we look in the scriptures, we see how God in the past has used different nations, just like the illustration I gave there of King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians coming in and, and God using them to punish sinful Israel. God has the ability to use sinful man to accomplish his purposes. And if God did it in the past, Surely, God still does the same today. And I bring all this up about God being the source of authority and the one that orchestrates all of these things that we don't understand because 
I think it's imperative that we understand this because we live in a time where there's a terrible amount of disrespect for authority. If something somehow impinges upon my freedoms, what I view as my rights, I resist. Our focus tends to be on self and what my rights are and what my freedoms should be. And we struggle to submit to authority that crosses those boundaries of what we think should be our rights. That crosses the boundary of things that fall in line with our personal beliefs and understandings. But Peter tells us here through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that we're to submit to every ordinance of man. And that word ordinance can be interpreted as authority or institution. In other words, we're to submit to what has been set in place by God or or who he has allowed to be set in place. He mentions submitting to kings as well as governors, and I believe that's just saying that we're to submit to the whole realm. It's not just this level we're to submit to. We're to submit to all levels of authority. So why are we to submit? In verse 13, he says that we're to submit for the Lord's sake. Do you ever ponder what that means? I went to some. I went to the Strong's definition, uh, you know, this, uh, the the original Greek definition in Strong's. Of, uh, I went to different commentators, and this is just one of those those passages that just doesn't give you as much help as you're hoping for. But and and I think every version. I looked at multiple Bible versions, and I think. Every version I looked at said it the same way, for the Lord's sake. And so I pondered that a little. The the couple commentaries that I did find that had some, some thoughts on it fell pretty much in line. But, you know, we, it, we use that term as in saying you do it for someone's benefit. And I was trying to think up an example, and I said, you know, maybe you'd say, please clean up the house for your mother's sake. You know, do it for her benefit, so she won't have to do it. So are we to submit for the Lord's sake so that he won't have to? No. But I believe that it is because it is how God has ordained it for his people. It's what he desires for his people. And so we do it for his sake. We don't do it because it's what we want to do. We do it because it's what God has asked us to do. Maybe for his benefit in that as we submit, he has the ability to gain glory and to accomplish his purposes through us. Because I believe it says we, as we lay ourselves down and submit that God has the ability to move and to work. Because it takes us out of control. 
That's really what it's about. It's about me giving up control and saying, God, it's, it's yours. And then God has the ability to work and to gain the honor and glory. Often we don't see it that way when we're in the midst of, of facing that because we're seeing it from our side. But I, I believe that that is, is op- our submission opens the door for God to work. Another reason that we submit is that it's God's will that through submission we demonstrate the character of his kingdom to the world around us. We see that in verses 15 and 16. He speaks of putting to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, proving to those who would say things bad about us that that. We are in submission. There are many who are looking for reasons to malign God's people. And I believe he's pleading here that we would live lives that are full of good things that would give no place for us to be maligned, but rather uh, would bring honor to God. In verse 16, he speaks of being free. And we teach that it's through God, through Christ, through surrender to him, that we gain freedom. But then, we tend to fight for our own personal earthly freedoms. And I was challenged as I thought about that for us to consider where are you finding your your freedom? Where am I finding my freedom? Is my freedom in a spiritual sense or is my freedom determined by what the authorities that are over me allow me to do? Is my freedom a political freedom? Is it an economic freedom? Or is it spiritual? I believe that God wants his people to experience true spiritual freedom. And I believe maybe he's trying to tell us here that one of the most powerful demonstrations of that spiritual freedom is to to be submissive to the authorities over us because we're really not of this world. To, to, To let to not be so bothered by the realm of, of the things of this world. When people face from authority, they face opposition, they face oppression, there's a natural tendency to push back. And even more than that, maybe a tendency to subvert authorities over us, to do things to really undermine And that's a tendency that's alive and well in our world today. And I have to admit, when I examine my life, it can be pretty alive and well in my life. We like to push back as soon as there's something that, that 
somebody over us tells us that we're supposed to do this and we don't like it, we want to push back. And I believe that, that what God is showing us here is that the subjects of his, in the subjects of his kingdom, that there should be a different response to earthly authority than the response of the natural man. Moving on to verse 17, there's a very powerful statement there. It says that we're to honor all men. Another translation says, show proper respect to everyone. And I believe that's very important as we relate to authority. And I think it's important as we relate to everyone on the face of the earth. And as we relate to authority, there may be times when, when we need to go against what an earthly authority says because it goes against God's commands. And if that time comes, I think it's imperative that we do so with respect and with honor and in humility. Not in a demeaning way, not in a tearing down of the authorities that God has set in place. But as, like I said, I believe that idea of respecting and honoring all men is so important. And I had to think about it. We hear a lot in our culture today about race relations. It's easy to make distinctions and to treat people differently because of race, because of culture, or some idiosyncrasies. In Scripture, we're told that God made all people. We're all made of the same flesh and blood, and that God loves everyone the same. And I believe that as Christian people, we should, we should show that as we relate, whether it's an authority or whether it's someone under us, if we're an authority, that we should show that respect that all people are valuable in God's eyes. Then in verses 18 through 20, he speaks of servants relating to their masters. Again, another level of authority that many of us face in life. We typically apply this to the employee-employer relationship. And I think that is right. But I want us to notice one thing about this in thinking about submission to authority. This is speaking about a level of submission to authority that most likely none of us will ever experience. Because he really is speaking about slaves or bond servants, those who had sold themselves maybe for a time period as a servant. And we see in verse 20, he speaks of being buffeted. And the Greek word there means to wrap with the fist. So this is actually talking about being beaten. And I don't think any of us who are employees have ever received a physical beating for not performing our job. But that is the level of submission that he is speaking of here. That 
as a Christian, even if your boss, so to speak, this I don't know what you'd call him if you were a bond servant, but your, your owner, whoever was over you, would beat you, that you're to submit. Concept is the same for us today, but, but I just wanted to bring that out because of the level of submission to authority that I believe that Peter was speaking of here. But the idea is that we're to exercise obedience and submission to those that we find ourselves under. For God's sake. In verse 19, he says that it's thankworthy if we endure unjust suffering. And that word thankworthy has the idea of graciousness or of divine influence. Another translation says, for this wins God's approval when, because conscious of God's presence, a man who is suffering unjustly bears his trouble patiently. And I believe that what we see there is that it is not natural for us when we face this type of thing to respond in a submissive, meek spirit. And it only comes through the grace of God. It's, it's because of the, the, the result of God's work in our hearts. And through our response, it reflects God's character to the one over us. And I believe that disrespect in that situation and rebellion is never going to bring honor and glory to God. It might get, us, might get our way, but I don't believe it's going to bring honor and glory to God. And that's what God is saying here through Peter, that respond in that difficult situation in a way that shows that I am in you and I'm working in your heart and in your life. <clears throat> then in verses 21 through 23, Peter sets Christ up as our example in suffering unjustly. He says that Jesus set an example that we should follow in his steps. And just think about all of the injustice and the hurt that Jesus faced. Yet he didn't respond in kind, but rather, in verse 23, he committed himself to him who judges righteously. He committed himself to God, to his control. Think of Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus knew that to accomplish God's will and God's purpose, that he was going to suffer much injustice and abuse. He knew that his personal freedoms and his possessions and his life were all going to be taken. Yet he willingly faced that to accomplish the Father's will. And Peter says, here's your example. Jesus willingly suffered these things to accomplish the Father's will. He's your example to go and do the same as you face things that may be unjust. 
And what I see in this is that God's children are called, like Christ, to fully trust in Him and to surrender to Him. And to surrender to His ability to use whatever circumstances we find ourselves in for His honor and glory and for our eternal good. You know, that concept that we see here of submitting to authority that we find ourselves under is a foreign concept to the society around us. We live in a society where personal freedoms are regarded highly. We live in a society where people would rather die than give up certain freedoms. We're taught that we should fight for our freedoms. And I don't want anybody to get me wrong because I enjoy and appreciate the freedoms that we have in our, in our country and in our society. But I believe that in this passage that God is trying to teach us here that personal freedom to do as I please is not and should not be the goal of his children. In verse 24, he speaks of, of Christ's sacrifice, a sacrifice of suffering and death, so that we who, are previous, who previously were dead in sins could live unto righteousness. I believe the key in that verse is that as recipients of Christ's sacrifice, we're not called to earthly freedom, we're called to righteousness. Righteousness is something that is greater than any earthly freedom that we can be granted. Earthly freedoms give us the ability to do as we please. They give us the ability to have fun, they give us the ability to make money, etc. He's saying that Christ suffered and died so you could be righteous, and that is more important than any freedom that you will ever experience. And it's a freedom that can't be taken away by any earthly authority. The prisoner serving a life sentence are sitting on death row waiting for that night that his life is taken, can experience the freedom that comes from living a righteous life by the grace of God. The person living under a terrible political oppression from a godless dictator can experience daily freedom in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See all these things in the, in the society and political realm pale in comparison to what God has given to his people. In verse 25, he says, we were as sheep going astray. We had all strayed from God's perfect will for mankind. We had all pursued the freedoms that our flesh said was important. But now he says, 
through Christ, we can return to God, the one who truly cares for us, the one who has our best in mind, the one who is the shepherd of our souls. So I challenge us all this morning to consider our response, our view towards earthly authority. We face it everywhere. We're going to face it all of our life as long as we're in this life. When we're children, we have parents over us. We have teachers over us. Then we have church leaders over us. We have bosses over us. We have all kinds of government authorities over us. It's not going to go away. And it's not going to go away because God's instituted it. It may get a lot worse. Because remember, it's not... They don't operate according to God's perfect will. We're living in a sinful world. But we're going to continue to face it. How are we going to respond? If we're not responding properly, I believe that we're harming our witness to the world around us and diminishing our ability to, to display God's glory and God's will for his people. So may we each respond to the authorities that we find ourselves under in a way that God, who ordained their place of authority, is honored. We need to remember that it's about God. It's not about me. It's about his glory. It's not about my earthly freedom. So may God bless you. We have a song.